Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarin. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarin, joined as always. By a man who the Atlanta Hawks are about to sign to guard LeBron James because they got no one else at this point. Dan Baker, uh, DB. Hope your upper body strength is on point, my man. Or at least just make fun of his hairline. Just distract him somehow. I can do that, Dave. I got a full head of hair. Full head of hair. Just be like, full head of hair, LeBron. Full head of hair, buddy. What you got? What you got? And as always, joined by a man with no head of hair, the coach, Kevin. How you doing, coach? I can stroke the three, baby. Downtown, feed me. Corva would take the pine if I was over there. Oh, Lord. Well, after that wizard series, he so. might. Uh, wizards, I don't want to talk about it. And uh, me, Mark, back. How you doing, me, Mark? I have the most hair here. This, this, this is nice. I like this. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. Uh, Maybe not anything else, but the hair. I got that. <laughs> now you're working the hair, buddy. And, and the beard. But, hey, we got a hell of a show. Maybe that's what you were talking about with hair. Like you were doing, like, the full capacity here. I mean, full I wasn't, I'll, I'll take that. That's You'll fine. take full spectrum yeah, hair. Sure. Uh, we got a hell of a show this week. Uh, we're going to talk to Ben Shapiro about baseball because we haven't talked baseball like all year. I guess the season started mm-hmm. and um, yes. after the Wizards defeat, we should talk about it, but we got more than enough to discuss. I want to talk some Tabo Cephalosha. Uh-oh. I want to talk some NBA playoffs. Uh-oh. I want to talk little kids being on platforms, uh, media platforms, and who that upsets and why it upsets them. <laughs> I want to talk about all this stuff because to me there's this big political undertone to Uh-oh. everything in the NBA playoffs that people are talking about we're not talking about and a sh- you know I'm going to like dedicate the show this week or under dedicate it to whoever the the asshat was who asked Kyrie Irving if LeBron James was like a father to him that's yeah, who the show is dedicated to. Yeah. It's was an it, anti-dedication. Was it, was it Colin Coward? I don't know. No, no, no. He doesn't do locker rooms. That, <laughs> that implies he, he, just, he just cares about players' fathers. <laughs> That's all he cares about. Yeah. No, no, no. No, he doesn't do actual reporting. You <laughs> can, you can never put game. someone who doesn't do work over someone who does. But if you're doing work 
and you're 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 asking a grown man if another grown man who's only a few years older than him is like a father mm. to him. Mm. And so, you know what? F that guy. I'm dedicating the show to Kyrie Irving, who had the best response, which was like, is he like a father to me? Like his eyes wide open. He goes, no, uh, the only person who's like a father to me is Dredrick Irving, right. my father, right, right, right. which is the best response. Right. There's no way a white athlete gets asked that question. Oh and that's my. the tip of the iceberg. We'll talk about it right after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach. Kevin, how you doing, coach? My man. And me, Mark Barry. How you doing, me, Mark? Doing good. Yo, so as we went to break last, I said, uh, I don't think it's a truth bomb. I think it's like a truth obviousness, is that a white player doesn't get asked uh, if LeBron James is like a father to him. Mm. Because the media, which is largely white, has this obsession with black fatherhood particularly as it relates to the NBA, as if it's 20 years ago and it's still Sean Kemp, uh, 10, whatever, how many kids Sean Kemp had, 10 kids or whatever from multiple different women. And also, you know, they use that to stereotype, pigeonhole, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So this is what we're dealing with uh, with this Kyrie Irving question. Is LeBron James like a father to you? Which is just this epically obnoxious question that I don't think a white athlete gets asked. And I think it's also related, honestly, to some of the, the, the weird controversy and debate on both sides, on both sides of this question about uh, NBA players bringing their adorable children um, to press conferences, uh, post-game press conferences. And specifically, the big news was around uh, Steph Curry's adorable daughter, Riley, who was doing all kinds of hijinks. And Brian Windhorst, uh, writes for ESPN, complained about it afterwards, like gave gave like an open, was just like, this is ridiculous. This is time for reporters to ask questions, you know. And then you had uh, Rick Buecher put out a tweet, which he said was was joking, Mm. uh, which still upset people uh, because he said, and I think the fact that it upset people says something too, where he said, um, I'm more impressed with Steph Curry that he can uh, about being able to concentrate on the court. Um, if he and that he has to deal with such a little menace at home, mm. like it bothered people. Well, he was, I didn't even I think Rick Buecher was making a joke, yeah, like a ha ha joke. So, yeah. But you use the word menace in the context mm-hmm. of black children, and mm-hmm. people are going to say, "Who the hell are you mm-hmm. to say that?" And then that you know the re- response of, "Oh, you're being oversensitive," blah blah blah. But to me, you're being oversensitive is usually code for, um, "Why don't I have the freedom to be an asshole?" Mm-hmm. Uh, which is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is usually how that works in Twitter speak. John but, Singleton had a movie out, Minister Society, and I, I no, I, that I was uh, the Hughes Brothers. But oh, okay. points well taken. He did Boys in the yeah, Hood. But I wouldn't but go that see the movie menace. just because of the name. Oh no, no, it was, yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah, well, That's still, a fantastic. Not, movie. No, because of the connotations of Minister Society. What are you talking about? Be, be afraid of black young kids. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So and interestingly too, that that movie came out, and there were statistics at the start. I forget if it was that or Boys in the Hood that talked about black on black violence and talked about genocidal situation in black communities uh the quote first of all quote the plurality is black on black violence does not and should not exist i mean it's it's poor people killing poor people and the the percentages in uh, poor white communities are very similar to that in uh poor black mm-hmm. communities so sure. i mean you know it's not you know denzel washington's kid kill uh, you know trying to shoot 
a wealthy black person. I was about to name, so I don't want to name a person. But but you you get my point, though. So it's like it's poor people killing poor people. They don't want to talk about the socioeconomic issues that undergird it. Um, But that being said, you know, that that quote unquote black on black homicide is down 67 percent from the high point in the early 1990s. Yet it's still talked about as if it's this present thing. And I think it's a similar thing with the whole kids thing. Like Sean Kemp is long gone from this league, yet they still have that Sean Kemp matrix in their mind like it's the 1990s and subject uh, black men to uh, a kind of microscope that otherwise they should not or would not be um, subjected to. But the thing about what I say is that this debate is weird on both sides is that on the one side, the, hey, get your kid out of here, I mean, that's just whack. I mean, how can you not, like, see, look at a cute kid? I mean, that's just, like, the weirdest thing in the world. Like, oh, your job is so important, you have to ask uh, Steph Curry these questions. Like, please, it's a spectacle. We like seeing the kids. We get, you know, that's the one side. But the other side is weird, too. Like, I had a bunch of people get in touch with me and, and say things to this effect. And also, uh, not just get in touch with me, but the debate had this argument, like, What's wrong with celebrating fatherhood? Would it be better if we celebrated fatherlessness? You know, and or it's like that that was one. And the other one that was weird was uh, Bill Plaschke put out a tweet. Uh, he's a very followed uh, sports columnist for the L.A. Times, yep. put out a tweet where he said um, it's worth it to have kids on the podium if even <clears throat> one father looks at that and thinks about his abandoned children and tries to get in touch with them. I mean, he could say he's talking about black fathers, white fathers, what have you, but that is so coded to he's talking about black fathers. And once again, another stereotype, the idea of the delinquent black father. And so in this idea that people are putting that weight on the shoulders of black NBA players about Mm -hmm. how they project their fatherhood, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to turn that around and be like, how many sports writers are delinquent fathers? And believe me, I know mm-hmm. quite a few. Mm-hmm. I mean, partly it's the nature of the job, not unlike being an athlete. Mm-hmm. If you have to travel a lot, bad things tend to happen. You're away from home, alcohol, what have you, adultery, kids out of wedlock, everything. Like The things that tend to undermine marriages exist in sports writing as much as they exist. I mean, for traveling sports writers, as much as they exist for athletes. I mean, bad fathers are in every walk of life in this country. Yet there's this particular weight put on NBA players to be good fathers, ascribing this incredible weight to just maybe it's just as simple as I want the world to see how cute my kid is mm-hmm. or this situ- or this situation for me will be slightly more bearable if I have my child with me. Mm-hmm. And the worst response, though, to the kids was when someone said, I don't bring my child to work. Why should they bring theirs? Mm. And look, Steph Curry is not asking his daughter to play power forward. It's like that's not his work. The press con his work is on the court. The press conference is spectacle. And to me, there's nothing wrong with spectacle involving cute children. That's part of the spectacle, for goodness <laughs> sakes. It's not a hard news scenario. It is a spectacle scenario. For goodness sake. So that that's my 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 big beef from the last week as something that's so over discussed. The thing that's under discussed, which I just boggles my mind, is Tabo Cephalosha not being on the bench for the Atlanta Hawks. Leg broken by the NYPD amidst a national movement around police violence, amidst a year that saw NBA players speak out on police violence in unprecedented numbers. 
yet this is undiscussed or under discussed. And I've been trying to figure this out all day because now the story has new currency because Damari Carroll, uh, leading scorer on the Atlanta Hawks and the quote-unquote junkyard dog, that's what they call him, who's supposed to guard LeBron James, he's out for the series. Mm-hmm. And so that question then arises, who's going to guard LeBron? And it, in this situation, it normally would be the only player on this team who has deep playoff experience, Tabo Cephalosha. Yet he's not there because the NYPD broke his damn leg. Broke his leg. How is this not a bigger story? I mean, in a sports atmosphere where everything is over-discussed, like the kids at the press conferences, how is this under-discussed? And I actually reached out to a bunch of members of the media today to ask them that very question. Like, why do you think this story is so under-discussed? And the thing that's so interesting is that a lot of them said to me, some on the record, some off the record, some anonymously, some put their names to it, that... People in power where they work don't want it discussed because they think it's too controversial, too hot topic, too – they would be worried that they would be painted as anti-police. And yet the weird – the interesting thing about that to me is that I spoke to Michael Lee, who's the NBA writer for The Washington Post. Mm -hmm. He said his column about Tabo was his most read article of the year. Wow. I mean there's an audience. And I just find this interesting because there's an analysis of of media sometimes that the quote-unquote if it bleeds, it leads approach, which says if something's going to get ratings, you do it. It doesn't really matter who's affected or why. You just want that most controversial topic. I don't think that's true. I think there are still these ingrained prejudices in media that prevent things from being discussed. I'll just give you one example before we go to break. We rightfully on this show roasted – criticized, lambasted Floyd Mayweather for not only abusing women, but being the sort of person whose child would write a formal statement saying how he beat up him and and his mother. That's a terrible thing. Have a child have to write a statement about your abuse. We now know that Bill O'Reilly's daughter had to write a similar statement about him dragging his wife down a flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. Yet is Bill O'Reilly getting the Floyd Mayweather treatment? Hardly. Hardly. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that to me is a, is a big a story that would garner eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not discussed. So the ingrained prejudices are still there. This is Edge of Sports Radio. We'll be back right after this. Don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? Mommy. Me, Mark Barry, doing me, Mark? So good. And we are joined here today. We're <laughs> going to talk baseball for the first time this baseball season with a terrific columnist for uh, Mass Sports Live, a terrific writer, terrific thinker, student of the game, Ben Shapiro. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Oh, happy to have you. Before we talk baseball, real quick, I want to ask you this very brief football question. Bob Kraft said he's not going to bring any sort of appeal against the NFL. Was that Bob Kraft effectively throwing Tom Brady under the bus? And a better question for you is, is that how it's at in any way, shape, or form being perceived in the Boston media? Uh, I think you're definitely going to have people perceive it in a number of ways, including the throwing under the bus scenario uh, in the short term. But I think we really won't know 
what this means until until Brady's appeal is actually vetted out. Because let's face it, if, if Brady's appeal ends up working and the suspension is reduced by fifty percent or even a hundred percent, then you know Kraft's actions won't be viewed in the same manner as they are right now. If, of course, Brady's suspension was completely upheld, then I think that's when I think you'll see the heat start to come. And I would think that with something like this, though, uh, I, I would think at this point in his career, if Brady felt that Kraft had thrown him under the bus, uh, with, you know, he's, he's in the twilight of his career regardless of, of what happens with this, this issue, uh, I would think you would hear from him at some point. So uh, he's not going to make that that statement now. But if he felt that way, and if the appeal were rejected, I would think that uh, that you might hear from him. So I think, I think that this is like everything else in the Flategate, something uh, yet to be yet to be determined. I think an under discussed part of this story is that Bob Kraft was looking at a future where he would become Al Davis 2.0, and was actually really surprised and taken aback how many other NFL owners really dislike, resent, are jealous, whatever word you want to use, of the Patriots organization. And he went from being in a situation where he thought of himself as a Roger Goodell kingmaker to being like, wow, it's not just me versus Goodell. It's Goodell and a lot of owners against me. And do I really want to be Al Davis? I do not. Yeah, I think I I agree with you on that. I think it's hard to... uh... I mean, you know, you hear about it growing up, pure pressure, right? Well, there's, mm-hmm. there's only only 32 men in this world who can claim to be NFL owners. Yeah, and, 31. Uh, regardless what, of, come on, of man, what Packers. you think of them. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Well, 31, you're right. Regardless of what you think of those individuals as people, uh, they are just people. And uh, pure pressure works in mysterious ways, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, and especially when you consider that in Kraft's tenure, the Patriots have gone from an organization in the middle of the pack in terms of value to the second most valuable NFL franchise now behind only the Cowboys, which is a remarkable accomplishment. And it's it's like, does Kraft want to be on the outside looking in of what's been such an incredibly profitable enterprise? But let's get off of that, because I want to ask you, because I know nothing, what are the biggest stories in Major League Baseball right now for people who are just now getting their heads around it because we've been in other sports, other stuff, need our, need our baseball fix for the summer. What are the big stories now in the Major League Baseball that you think people should be following? Well, I think the first big story is a story that a lot of people were probably following from the get-go, and then it sort of faded. And the first big story is probably the Washington Nationals, right? This was a team predicted by many to be a legitimate World Series contender, and they got off to an absolutely abysmal start. I think they were six games below 500, seven games out of first place. Uh, they came into Boston, I know, in early April, and just every night it was like three or four errors plus three or four misplays. They really looked like a team that had just arrived at spring training, not a team that had been to spring training. Mm. But then all of a sudden the calendar flipped, and now uh, today the Nationals find themselves in first place. They don't have the best record in baseball yet because they've still got to atone for their April uh, slump. But uh, look, they're getting the good pitching, and more importantly, they're getting the MVP caliber performance out of the guy that they took number one overall in the draft a few years back, Bryce Harper. Uh, you know, every every guy can't be Mike Trout and just burst onto the scene mm-hmm. and maximize his potential right away. Most baseball players do take 
a period of time to at least make a degree of adjustments. And uh, Harper had his ups and downs his first few years, but right now the guy that you see on the field right now is the guy that, that caused them to make him the number one overall pick. And uh, he looks to me like a legit MVP candidate this year, and don't be surprised if he's in that conversation for years to come. See, this is that, why— That's definitely one big story. And, and Mark has a question for you, but just I want to tell the audience mm-hmm. here, this is why I rooted—part of me rooted for LeBron in Miami, because I find it thrilling when a player gets all this hype as a teenager, and they actually fulfill— that hype, and you get to see in real time someone fulfill their hype. I think that's that's always a tremendously compelling, uh, dramatic arc in sports, particularly because so many phenoms do peter out, uh, pour out a little for uh, Danny Almonte. All right, go, go to you right away, Mark Barry. What's your question? <laughs> yeah, as two weeks ago I saw the Nats play uh, Atlanta and watch Harper hit two out against them. He is crazy good right now, and he's walking. He's on pace to, to walk 100 times, completely change his game for what he's been in the past and been this very patient hitter, not running as much as possible. But, yeah, absolutely, he's in, he's in the, the talk for MVP. Uh, one story that's really awesome, and I don't know if it's going to uh, hold up or not, is the Houston Astros is the team that has the best record in the AL West right now. Crazy, very young, crazy young. George Springer. They've been they've been on a rebuilding plan seemingly forever, but with uh, hitting with Evan Gaddis coming over playing DH, and then with the uh, pitching staff with Dallas Keuchel and Colin McHugh, can they hold on? Can they can they win in the AL West? Yeah. How shocked are you? It's shocking about the Astros. You know, I think I think first of all. I'm shocked that it's happened this year because I had them pegged as a team ticketed for legit playoff contending and, and division title contending. I, I think I had them, I was thinking next year. But they, they, they've jumped the gun, and, and wow. you have to give them some credit because they, they didn't just go out. They're not just relying on the slew of, of talented young players they've been able to acquire and accrue after years of just really terrible baseball. They did go out in the offseason. They did, you know, they got the Jed Lowry. They got Luke Gregerson. They got um, Evan Gaddis. And, and some of these guys are in the playoff. Lowry, of course, is, is injured, but he was do, playing well before the injury. And then you have to, you do have to give him credit. Dallas Keuchel looks fantastic. Uh, Colin McHugh, not quite as good as Keuchel, but he's certainly continuing. They're getting decent contributions out of guys like Scott Feldman. And then, of course, there's this offense, which. It, it's really an amazing offense. If you look at the strikeout numbers on that team, and they are astronomical. The Astros may end up striking out more than any team ever in the history of Major League Baseball in a single season this year. But but that doesn't change the fact that they also have one of the, one of the best records in the league right now because when they do make contact, uh, the ball tends to go pretty far. And let's not forget, George Springer is the, is the big prospect name, but the, the guy that makes that team go is Jose Altuve. And he's a five foot six second baseman that's already hit eleven home runs, has stolen more than ten bases, and is hitting well over three hundred. Mm. You know, you know. One more question for you, Ben. And thanks so much for your time, man. I mean, love having you on the show. This is like I feel like I'm I'm letting you now swing a bat with the donut off of it. Like you should be able to take a big cut at this question. Because I know you get asked a bunch before a season starts, who do you like in the World Series? Well, guess what? It's May 21st. You've been able to watch these teams for almost two months. Based upon what you have seen thus far, what's your World Series pick? I think I I believe I I had the Nationals going early in the season, and I know the Cardinals are playing out of their minds right now. 
but I, I still feel like the Nats, they have a great combination because not only do they have a great team on the field, but they have some players that they can, that they can trade, some players they can move. In other words, if they detect a, a need and they feel like they're one player away from maybe putting themselves over the top, they have the prospects and the expiring contracts to go out, make that trade, and, and add to the team midseason. So I still think the Nats are probably the team that represents the National League and, and may very well win the whole thing. The American League, guys, is, is an absolutely, completely wide-open race because you look at those divisions right now. Uh, the White Sox have underperformed. The Royals and Tigers have both played great, but I, I think both teams have some question marks. Uh, the Astros are certainly better than we thought they'd be, but can they hold on? The Angels are making a hard push, and the AL East is just a collection of of teams that are just incomplete uh, incomplete products. I mean, every team has some significant holes. The American League's wide open. If I had to pick an American League team, I guess I I might go with the Royals, but mm-hmm. uh, but but the National the National League I, I really like the Nationals uh, situation because they're finally playing great baseball and they've got the ability to add to it as the season goes on. Love it. Ben Shapiro, man, thanks so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Guys, thanks. Always a pleasure. Uh, I look forward to coming back as the season progresses. Hell yeah. We're going to do this on the reg. Thanks so much, Ben. All right, guys. Yeah, great segment with Ben Shapiro. Before before we go to break, I got enough time to ask you, Mark, the same question. Like it's May twenty first. That's that's it's like swinging a bat mm-hmm. with the donut off. You've had two months to watch these guys almost. Who do you like in the World Series? Uh, my uh, the beginning of the year, I picked the Dodgers and the Red Sox. Red Sox seems like a terrible pick right now because their pitching staff is legitimately terrible. I think the Nationals have a chance to win a hundred games. I think they're going to make it. Wow! If they win a hundred yeah, after that start, absolutely. That I, th- would be I, th- sick. I think they still win a hundred games. And I think that by the end of the season, the Detroit Tigers make it. What? Yes. Oh, my God. I Absolutely. think they're going to fall off the no. shelf. Verlander's coming back. He's going to be a, an acceptable third starter. Victor Martinez will be back for the stretch run. I think they're good. Well, before the season started, <laughs> I had Nats-Orioles as a Subway-type series. The O's are shaky. I don't want to shock you guys, but there's been some off-field drama in the city of Baltimore. <laughs> what? Did something happen there? Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> shock you that, that they've had to kind of deal with as a team. Um, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to bore you with that. It, it, this is a sports show. Why would we talk about that? Or I'll do. I'll do what Mike Greenberg did this morning when Tabo Cephalosha came up. He, he didn't. He said, "We all know what happened there," and that's all he said. About <laughs> Ran it. away. We all know what happened there. All right, taxi. let's go to break. Yeah, taxi. We'll be back after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Joined by the coach. Coming out, how you doing, coach? My man, I'm fired. Dave Neymar Zyron. Barry. Doing good. I was yipping a lot that last segment. Not a lot of oxygen for others. So I will ask you this question, coach. First of all, I know you wanted to say something about Tabo, but you also had some NBA playoff talk you wanted to do. So please, go right ahead. Yeah, I, I did a comparison here with uh, Dwight Howard and Curry. But I want to say something about, about the uh, podium with the kids. And when I first heard it, you know, I'm going to back and forth with it. And then it just came to me what you just said about Sean Kemp. This is a black man. Rose did it. Um, Chris Paul did it. LeBron has done it. And I said, this is good. This is good because too many dialogues are about the Sean Kemp's of the world. Sure. This, is, this, is, this takes us, you know, let's see us as black men, as black fathers. This doesn't mean you're a good father, but, but to see that. Because all the stories that you hear about guys that come to the league, and especially basketball, 
one and dones and so forth, you always hear the story, and they're beautiful about the, the single black mother, which is real, but time and time again. It's the, the two parallels that I see all the time. A black mom helps you get there, like Durant and his, um, who I know his mother in Durant, he's from this area. Sure. All good. And then you hear the other one about coming out of the hood, beating drugs, beating gangs and all that. That's real. But you hear it time and time and time again. And you have Steph Curry, whose dad was an NBA player and his mom was a model. Exactly. But a lot but, of different backgrounds. Yeah, right. But you hear that all the time. And I'm like, that's okay. Don't, don't let people think that that's all of us. We, we do come out with different, we have different backgrounds, different different levels, and different ways we got to be into the NBA. Just to seem every black player in the NBA is there because they can jump and it came out of the hood. I agree with you, Coach, and I agree with you. And it would not shock me in the slightest if in the mind of particularly Derrick Rose, he is making a statement about black fatherhood when he brings his child up there. Fine. What I know about... Derek Rose, it would not surprise me for a second if he was making a conscious, conscious political statement. From what I know about Steph Curry, it wouldn't surprise me if he was making a conscious political statement. That being said, there's a part of me that remembers, I want to quote Melissa Harris Perry, MSNBC host, who sometimes says, can't a brother just live? You know what I'm saying? It's like, and I know racism exists, so right. the answer is no. But she made that comment right. a year ago. I'll never forget this. When Richard Sherman was getting criticized for talking too much and Marshawn Lynch was getting criticized for not talking mm-hmm. before the Seahawks' uh, first Super Bowl win mm-hmm. and she's against uh, the, the Mannings. And she said, can't <laughs> a brother just live? And that to me is a part of this too. It's like why – you're right. Mm-hmm. Conscious statement against racism, black fatherhood, dispelling stereotypes. But at the same time, can't they also just bring their kid to be like, look how cute my damn kid is? Because that gets to the question of – like the whole idea of do you bring your own kid to work? Because to me, no, no, I'll tell you yeah, this. You. Because if I had to do a press conference after my job, I, hell yeah, I'd want my kid yeah. there. And yeah. I've done like talks and whatnot, yep. and my son always runs up on stage afterwards, and yep. people love that. I've, I've been there. Yep. My daughter yeah. busted some Run DMC last time. <laughs> Blew people's skulls. Yep. I was as yeah. proud as can be. Yeah. And why wouldn't anybody not be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like seriously like you're working this dangerous job and you're putting your kid in the middle of it. Right. Right, it's like right. here I am right, right, on an oil, right, Derek. Right. And, and, and nor is <laughs> let me. Where's my kid? Where's my kid? Kid, grab that uh, industrial drill. <laughs> right. And nor is Hilly's e- emails. Yeah, I was hot today. I mean, you know, Steph's going to say the customer stuff. Yeah, I was hot. I, my shot was falling. We moved around. We ran the floor well. We played D. I mean, he's not going to say anything earth shattering. So I have no problem. With it. I'm glad it was. It was good stuff. But speaking back to to, to to Steph, and I really want you to listen to this Mark and comment. I just got to watching that first game. And I just had to do a parallel, a contrast between Dwight Howard and Curry. Follow this with you, with you guys. Dwight Howard is built like a Greek god, seven feet tall, runs like a deer, can soar. Remember the dunk contest with the Superman getup and so forth and so on. Steph Curry is 150 pounds after a steak dinner, would lose an arm wrestle match to Gilligan, runs down the court like his head, outweighs his body, he's going to roll over, can, can, maybe can dunk with a stepladder, and has never been called explosive. Howard doesn't like basketball. I think that's obvious to us all. Isn't a student of the game and stays in the repair shop or on the tabloids, a la his experience with Kobe in L.A. Curry is a gym rat, has a high IQ, best point guard in the league, never any negative news or any issues. Howard has not improved his game in any way since entering the league. Now, check this out. His fundamentals are full, horrible and flawed, and despite teachings of Elijah Wan and Mikhail, he hasn't added any new skills to his game. Meanwhile, Curry 
has improved and added skills to his game every year. He's acknowledged as the best three-point assassin in the league. His left-hand passing or offhand is flawless, best in the league. And his behind-the-back passing, he's rejuvenated that, the best since Pistol Peak. Oh, I'd say Steve Nash did, but go ahead. Okay, well, you, and, he, and he has the best hand-eye coordination in the league since Larry Bird. Okay? Howard's headed for MRI, which he's had. This, this, this show's Thursday. And Curry's headed for the NBA title, probably with a, with a duel with LeBron. And I just, you know, the parallels just strike me. I just, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, not, a, I'm not a Howard fan. Love Curry. You cheat, you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> that wasn't obvious. Because Curry is the epitome of a cat that has worked on his game. He does not have. He's, he's, not a, he's not a high flyer. He's not explosive. He's not, you know what I mean? And, but he's worked at his game. And yeah. he's to, to raise to the level it is, Howard had everything going for him from an athletic standpoint, but he just doesn't care. I mean, I, I have a lot of responses to what you just said, most of them <laughs> negative. But what about you? I, I'll agree with you that Dwight Howard is a pretty man. He oh. absolutely is. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like this, this, this series is over, isn't it, guys? Uh, no, it's not over. I mean, Houston's got a lot of pride. The fact that they pulled that game to 110-106 in a place where it's almost impossible for the Warriors to lose is really something. James Harden took it to another level in that game. Trevor Ariza was fantastic. I think that they have enough to make it a series. I really mm-hmm. do, especially because, and I'm sorry if I'm sounding like Charles Barkley, but it's just a fact of life that jump shooting teams can get cold. And if a jump shooting team gets cold, then they're vulnerable. That doesn't mean he's right about advanced statistics and (laughs) three-pointers, but it is a fact of life. You saw that the Atlanta Hawks, I mean, almost shot themselves out of that Wizards series because Kyle Korver went 29%. Everyone's talking about the Wizards should win, the Wizards should win. If Kyle Korver had even shot 40%, let alone the 50% from three that he dropped during the season, it wouldn't have been a series. Well, wait a minute. Wall was out for three games, too, now. Yeah, 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 but that's injury, though. I'm talking about jump-shooting okay. teams that can get cold. Okay. The thing about Curry, which I find so fascinating, is I went back the other week and watched as much tape as I could find on him when he was at Davidson. Oh, I remember him And Davidson. it's like at Davidson, he was just a beautiful shooter and clearly a great leader. No way in heaven or hell did I see or can you find evidence of this handle and this passing ability. You see glimpses of the passing ability in terms of instinct, but when they did their run in the NCAA tournament, he wasn't even playing the point, for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. Right. They yeah. had him running off the ball. Yeah. I mean, so much so that uh, the, when the ball was in a point guard's hands, whose name I cannot even remember, with the team down three in their last game playing to go, um, I was believe. Kansas. Was it? Kansas. I think yeah, it was yeah, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. Playing to go, I believe, into the Final Four. They made the Final Eight. Right. I think the Elite Eight. Yeah, 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 the Elite Eight. Yeah, yeah. So the Final Eight. Geez, that's so much I like college basketball. But, <laughs> but, but. I, so, so the the, the I, I I love Steph Curry because it's evidence that you're not set in stone when you're 22 years old. Exactly. It's like the fact that he has been able to profoundly improve his game between the ages of 22 and 27. To me is really cool. Yes. That's yes. just cool to me. And that's what makes him, to me, like he reminds me of a more exciting version of Steve Nash in mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. Slightly less the passer, much more aggressive as a shooter, mm-hmm. which makes him more dangerous. Right. Even though if Nash had wanted to be more aggressive as a right. shooter, I think it, he right. would have done well to be. But but think what Howard could have done with that. Came in at 19. He didn't, he didn't play college. He was, he was, he was, we went straight to the league. Right. Just beautiful. I mean, just a great guy. And nothing. I, I watched that, and you know, and that's what Olaj when he went when they went when he went to Houston. Oh man, he's going to be with Olaj every day of the summer, and he's going to get all these moves. He's going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, Mikhail's a great one of the best yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. footwork guys and, and that ever played the game. Nothing because he doesn't want it. He doesn't have the heart. Curry does, and that's the difference. And and I'm going to use this when I speak to kids about look at the parallels here. 
You know, you got a guy that should be, he should be up there with all the bigs, the shacks, not, not necessarily titles, but in terms of accomplishments and dominating a game. No, he should he be, does he it on the be, defensive, and he, he blocks shots. But that's just that's instinctive. He can, see, he can yes. still rise. He, he's 12, 13 feet above, um, you know, three feet above the rim, blocking shots and all that, and he's a great athlete. But as far as on the other end of it, he's, man, when he gets the ball, I'm like, let him shoot. Which means if he had the skill set, he would be largely unguardable. Absolutely. Because he's bigger, stronger, faster than most, even though he's not nearly as big, strong, and fast when he was in Orlando. And I'm not advancing this theory, but the only players who've ever been dinged for performance-enhancing drugs in the the history of the NBA both played for the Magic when Dwight was there. Uh, Um, Rashard Lewis and and, uh, uh, Hato Turkoglu. And so Howard had these insane shoulders in Orlando, which disappeared when he went to L.A. Yes, he's had back surgery, but at the same time, performance-enhancing drugs aren't why you get a drop step. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? Exactly. So I have no idea about the PDs, what have you. It's something people have whispered for a long time. Just to explain the drop-off from the Orlando days where he scored over 20 a game and looked to be poised to be the next big thing mm-hmm. and looked to be the equivalent of when Shaq left Orlando and mm-hmm. signed with Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And yet... Just not the case at all. And so what you talk about in terms of drive, I think I feel sad about the injury because I actually think he was getting his role down as a very rich man's DeAndre Jordan Mm. um, on this Houston team. Mm. I know that disgusts you because his ceiling is so much higher than that. Mm -hmm. But Mm. he liked James Harden being the superstar. He right. liked not being someone people whispered about, like at the end of the fourth quarter, like, "Oh, why can't you give?" Because that was the big thing with him in right. Orlando. Right. It's like, can you really have him out there in the fourth quarter? Here's the thing, because you see it all the time. And Dan's agreeing with me, by the way, which makes me feel good because he's got mad basketball but, but, smarts. But, but, no, that but, makes me feel good. <laughs> no, but here, the thing I want to emphasize here: when you look at uh, Curry, who doesn't have the, the the athletic measurables, Howard does. Is what Ali said in his poem. I'm not going to paraphrase the whole poem. I just do it in, in the end game in, t- in terms of defining champions. He said, it is about the uh, the will instead of the skill. Mm. And that you know that's, that's the last words of that poem. And that's what I'm talking about here. Curry has the will. I don't see it in Dwight, and that's why you have two different players. Wow, will and skill. You know what? Before I said 30 seconds, but I want to keep this going another two minutes. Okay. And I, I told our producer that I, I wanted to because it reminds me also of something. It's not as poetic as Ali, but something said by Couch Taylor on Friday Night Lights. <laughs> that, is, that's that's is phenomenal. Couch. That's... Hey, Couch. Yeah. Thank you, Connie couch. Britton. I'm looking at her right now. Oh, Couch. <laughs> oh, come on now, Couch. <laughs> and and what what actually I was I was doing Matt Saracen. Oh yeah, it's close. Either way, it's close. Yeah, and Matt Saracen, Connie <laughs> Britton, the, 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 interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> close your eyes. It's the same. So this is what he said though. He said this to to Vince, uh, played by Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. terrific actor. Vince is the quarterback on mm-hmm. the team, and he and he was like, everybody tells me to be better. I don't know how to be better. And he's like crying in the coach's office, and he says, I didn't tell you to be better. I said, try to be better mm-hmm. because it's not even about being better. It's about the trying because that's where character mm-hmm. is forged. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that it's not mm-hmm. about being better. It's about trying mm-hmm. to be better. And Steph Curry has tried to be better in a way. We talk about Dwight Howard. 
Think about the two point guards picked right in front of him in the NBA draft that year. Go Ricky ahead. Rubio go. and Johnny Flynn. Ahead of Johnny. Um, are you talking about ahead of Curry? Ahead of Curry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it went uh, Rubio, Flynn, and then Curry at number. Both seven. by Minnesota, isn't it? that's another story. But go ahead. It's another, <laughs> but, but it's but it's also <laughs> about like if you can play, you're going to find time in this league. No question. And it's like, and Johnny Flynn has always said, you know, it's like oh, I. You know, just didn't have the skill set they wanted. Ricky Rubio, people are like, oh, well, not everybody can be a shooter. And it's like, no, not everyone can be seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can jump 45 inches. I grew up watching Magic Johnson turn himself into a shooter. Yes. From having no shot whatsoever None. None. to leading the NBA in, in free throw percentage and being a, a deadly standstill three-point shooter. It's like the things that you can teach yourself to do, Steph Curry is like this living breathing, amazing example of how you can change your own ceiling. This is Edge of Sports. We'll be back after this. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Edge of Shorts. I don't know Um, what I said. Fumble. Edge of Schwartz. (laughs) Look, I'll tell you this. We are going to have on next week's show a segment where Mark is going to try to argue that Johnny Manziel is going to have a quote-unquote monster year for the Cleveland Browns, and Coach and I are going to try to make Mark cry. I like arguing the impossible things. Oh, you're already hedging, yeah. though. No, 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 no. I, I still no, believe it. I still, I still believe it. Happen. I still think it's going to happen. This isn't All like, right. no. you know, Ron Jaworski saying, I like the blah, blah, blah yeah. to win, and then later he's like, yeah, I just said that because, yeah. you know, right. I had well, to say something We're, we're not here. first take here. No, we're not. But, but you really believe this. I do. And so we're really going to duel it out next week. That's right. Before we go, I had a realization. I've said for the longest time that Steve Nash is the most entertaining player, the most must-see TV player that I'd seen um, in the 2000s and um, you know, since the dawn of the 21st century. And now I think um, unquestionably the most entertaining player I've seen is Steph Curry. Um, and so now I was thinking like – Outside of LeBron, clearly. No, no, no. Including LeBron? Entertaining. Must-see TV. Yes. I don't find LeBron to be that aesthetically pleasing to watch. I think he's the best basketball player of my lifetime, not named Michael Jordan. But I think he's the the starting small forward ahead of Larry Bird on my all-time team at this point. But there is no way I find LeBron to be like must-see TV. Mm. You do? Oh, man. Things he does, man, from... But I'm, I'm I'm a lot deeper into the game than you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As someone who loves fluff and splash, and <laughs> no, I love Steph Curry. Watch how many times he throws the ball and the guys catch it right in their shooting. No, right in the pocket. Oh, and it's man, throwing fat. There you go. You're downplaying this for years, <laughs> no. though. It's okay. like at some point, it's All like, right. yeah, that was you know, at some. You know, it's like if you do something amazing over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm exactly. going to be done with it. Exactly. Yeah, but I said You take it for granted. Yes. Okay. Steph so we Curry take, will take do things I've never seen, okay. and that makes him entertaining. So I was trying to think of who's the most entertaining since, or the most must-see TV, like I got to watch this. And I was thinking it might actually be when Vince Carter was just like crazy Jumping tearing it up people. beyond what we saw at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, Vince Carter's on. I got to see that. What about you, Coach? Quick. Um, Kyrie Irving, but he stays in repair shop too much. Okay, Mark? I, I got to piggyback. Vince Carter was amazing. Let's go with Vince Sanity. Hey, for Dan Baker, Coach Mark Barry, I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. Edge of 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.